So you're determining what rate of return will trigger me to want to buy this business. So the bigger the business is, the lower the rate of return somebody will accept to buy that business, which increases the multiple of that business. It's that time of year again, tax season. How are you doing on tax season? How's that treating you so far? Well, if you have a lot of receipts and you're organizing things like your income and expenses and creating reports, and you're also trying to keep up to date with the new tax reform this year, there's a lot of deductions that we can take to maximize return, and there's a lot of strategies that we need to make sure we're aware of. Are you optimizing for the new tax laws? Well, our sponsor, Stessa, teamed up with the top real estate CPAs to offer you the ultimate rental property tax guide. And I've read it. This is the ultimate rental property tax guide. I'm talking about they've got everything covered from opportunity zones to entity selection to establishing a home office, travel expenses, what type of travel expenses are deductible, real estate strategies, tax strategies, capital improvements versus repairs. I mean... This is the ultimate rental property tax guide, and you can get it for free by going to stessa.com forward slash best taxes. You have to sign up for an account, but the account is free. So when you sign up for a free Stessa account, you will get this guide. This is worth its weight in gold for sure. Go to stessa.com, S-T-E-S-S-A.com forward slash best taxes. And when you work with Stessa, Stessa is a tool that helps every rental property owner track, manage, and communicate the performance of our real estate investment. So it's going to save a lot of time during tax season, but then also through the rest of the season as we go and grow our rental portfolio and optimize that. So go to stessa.com forward slash best taxes. Get that ultimate rental property tax guide. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. And first off, I hope you're having the best ever weekend because today is Saturday. We got a special segment for you called Situation Saturday. And here's the situation. You got a real estate business and you want to scale that business. But here's what you are thinking. You'd like to scale that business and then exit out of the business with a successful sale of the business. So today we're talking to Terry Lammers about how to scale our real estate business and prepare it for a successful exit. First off, how you doing, Terry? I am fantastic. How are you, Joe? I am fantastic as well. And nice to have you on the show a little bit about Terry. He's a co-founder and managing member of Innovative Business Advisors advising business owners on the sale of their company. He's had 11 different companies. He's grown to $40 million in annual sales before selling in 2010. Did I say that right? Help me with that fact. I grew up in a family oil business. We delivered gasoline, diesel fuel, lubricant, stuff like that. So I came back to the company in 1991, took it over. And over the next 19, 20 years, purchased, acquired 11 other companies and then I exited the business in 2010. Oh, cool. All right. Thank you for that. Based in, is it Fallon, Illinois? Innovative is based in O'Fallon, Illinois. The oil company was in Puron, Illinois. We're about 30 miles east of St. Louis, Missouri. Cool. So with that being said, will you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what your focus is now? Sure. So a family oil business, growing that, I grew up in it, purchased 11 companies, grew it to over $42 million a year in sales, 
sold it to Growmark, which is about a $6 billion agronomy company in 2010. I had to work for them for six months and then I was done. And I had not planned for what I was going to do after I sold the company. So I sat around the house for about three months and my wife informed me that I was going to get a job. (laughs) I did commercial banking for three and a half years and kind of got my entrepreneurial spirit back. And in July of 2014, my partner and I started Innovative Business Advisors. I got my CVA designation, which stands for a Certified Valuation Analyst. So CVAs value businesses, and that's a, a national designation. So Innovative basically does three things. We help people buy and sell businesses. Since I'm a CVA, we do a lot of business valuations, valuing businesses for a variety of reasons. A lot of the reasons we value businesses is for the business owner to know, is the company worth enough for them to exit? And then we also do some coaching and consulting. How much does it cost to have you put a price tag on a business? We do two different types of valuations. One is per NACVA standards. NACVA is a National Association of Certified Valuation Analysts. And then we do a summary valuation. The NACVA valuation per their standards has a lot of write-up in it. There's a write-up on the company, the management team, the industry. All the adjusting entries, there's documentation on why we did that. And that's going to cost you between five and $10,000. We charge $10,000 for it. There's just a lot of work to it. For the same number, you're going to get the same value. We'll do the summary valuation. And that's what most people are doing because if you're the business owner, you don't need to know about your management team. You don't need to know about the industry. And you don't need to know about your company. You're living it, right? So we kind of cut straight to the numbers. And we do that for about $2,500. Will you say the industry again? Is it NACVA? What was it? NACVA. It's an acronym for National Association of Certified Valuation Analysts. So NACVA. VA. Got it. All right, cool. Just want to make sure I have the acronym correctly. When you're doing the summary evaluation to put a price tag on what that business is worth, what goes into that? It's mainly getting to the true cash flow of the company. One of the main things that I preach when I'm doing public speaking and stuff like that in school and everybody focuses on sales and net income. And it's really not about sales and net income. It's about gross profit and cash flow because of the depreciation and amortization. Those are non-cash expenses that are on your income statement. You need to add those back into the net income to get to the true cash flow of the company. So you're really valuing the cash flow of the company. That's what it boils down to. If a company's been around a while and is not making money, but has a product and just hasn't been able to be profitable, but has a product and maybe we'll say they have a patent on the product. How do you put a value on that company? That is very tough. I would tell you there's two types of valuations. We do financial valuation. So we're valuing the cash flow of that business and determining what financial sense would it make for, say, you to buy my company. If you have a patent or the other type of valuation would be a strategic valuation. So if I create an app that Google thinks they can buy and spread it across the world, What is that really worth? Now, if you are a potential buyer of a company and you come to me and you say, Terry, I'm thinking about buying this company and strategically, I want to know what is it worth? We can sit down and talk about that, what your potential market is, but there's no way to financially justify those types of valuations. That's really tough. So I tell people that all the time when I'm doing a valuation for your company, I'm doing it from the perspective of does it make financial sense for somebody else to buy it? 
So excuse the ignorance with this question, but it seems like it would be pretty easy to do a financial valuation of a company if you have the profit and loss statement because it's already done for you if all you're looking at the gross profit. So is it you just look at the financials they give you and then you put some sort of multiple on that? Yeah. So the tricky part can be getting to the true cash flow of the company because unfortunately, people get very complacent with their financial statements. And I get them and I'm a fresh set of eyes on those things. And I'll find a lot of things that's like, why is your accountant doing it like that? And most often the answer is not that it's a bad accountant. It's just nobody's brought it up to him. And this is the way we've been doing it for the last 10 years. So that's the way it's always gone forward. For example, Um, what would that example be with an accountant? Why they're doing something like the way they're doing? The cost of goods sold is always a section where the proper things aren't in the cost of goods sold section. Or there's a lot of personal expenses on the financial statement. It's fine to run personal expenses. I hope a auditor isn't listening to this, but if you (laughs) want to run financial items through your company, that's your prerogative. But when it comes time to sell it, you want to be able to clearly identify those things so you can add that back into the cash flow. So you're going to want to add back into the cash flow any expenses that a prospective buyer would not have when they take over the company. But I've seen mislabeled items on the income statement, income statements that are eight pages long. I mean, that's ridiculously long. Nobody can analyze that. They need to be condensed. So those are the kind of things that you start to look for. On the top side, the revenue side, there's one revenue item and they're selling multiple products and they don't have that split out. So really going through in that process is called normalizing the financial statements and getting to the true cash flow of the company. But then one of the things, especially if a company has less than a million dollars in cash flow, so it is it a bankable deal. I hang my hat a lot on the fact if I put a number on a company, can you realistically go to the bank, put a reasonable down payment and have enough cash flow to service that loan? Mm-hmm. And then once you've normalized the financial statements and you have the true cash flow, how do you determine what multiple to put on it? Really, I don't say that you're putting a multiple on it. Once you've come up with a value, you can determine what the multiple came out to by dividing it by the value by seller's discretionary earnings or two times revenue or something like that. But you really don't come to it with the approach of, I'm going to value this business at three times revenue. Common way to value a company is called the discounted cash flow. And what you do with that is you're thinking about what type of return should I get on this company? When I was buying companies, my trigger to buy a company was if I could pay for it in three to five years. So if I'm going to pay for that company in three years, that means I'm getting a 33% return on my income. If I'm going to pay for the company in five years, that's a 20% return on my income. So if you divide 20% by the cash flow of the company, that will give you a value. Same way if you divide 33%, by the cash flow of the company, that'll give you a value. And then from there, you can determine if that value is a bankable number. So a small business, you should get a better rate of return than say what you could invest in stock market or something like that. So you're determining what rate of return will trigger me to want to buy this business. So the bigger the business is, the lower the rate of return somebody will accept to buy that business which increases the multiple of that business. So 16% would be a multiple of six. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does. I'm thumbing through my book. The name of the book is You Don't Know What You Don't Know. The byline is everything you need to know 
to buy or sell a business. And I think it's in the second or third chapter that I, I lay out that formula on how to do that. And for a real estate investor who has a company, and when I say has a company, they have some people who work for them, and they're thinking, hey, I, I like what I'm doing, but I want a little bit more freedom with my time. So I like to scale this wholesaling business or this fix and flip business or whatever business they're in and sell it to someone in a year or three years. What are some questions they should ask themselves in order to make sure they're prepared for an exit to make their business as desirable as possible for a buyer? Are you specifically talking about a real estate business or yeah. any business? Yes. We'll talk specific real estate. Okay. Specifically to real estate, one, you want to have decent financial statements. When I sold my oil company, we had a fleet of trucks. I had a three ring binder for every truck. So for every property you have in a real estate portfolio, where is it financed? This may sound silly, but the address, the rent rolls. Well, I'm not talking about property. So I'm not referring to someone selling a portfolio of their properties. What I'm referring to is if someone has a company where they're wholesaling deals or their company is to fix and flip deals. So they're not buy and hold investors, but rather they're investors who purchase properties and they have a business model to fix and flip deals. What questions do they ask themselves? And these questions are probably the same that any business owner asks themselves for how do they prepare to get their company ready for a sale in a year or two years down the road? Really, everything comes back to cash flow, but there's some things that I can tell you that are non-financial and financial. So on the financial side, you know, really have your house in order. Do you have very accurate financial statements? If you're flipping houses, you're probably going to have some work in progress and stuff like that. So as long as making sure that that is all cleaned up, but the profitability or the having good cash flow is what ultimately is going to value that business. Mm -hmm. Some non-financial things that can really kill a business like that. If you're the one buying and flipping the houses, are you doing that personally? Or do you have work crews that can do it? So we coach using the value builder system and they call that the hub and spoke. So are you the owner, the hub of the company, meaning that all the customers are coming to you, you're doing most of the work, you're doing all the selling. So the company's all about you. So if I'm from out of town and I'm going to buy that company and you disappear, well, who's left to run the company? So if you have a crew of people out doing that work, that's going to be a much more sellable company. Mm -hmm. And with your business that you sold, it was a family business. How long did your family have it prior to you joining? My dad bought the company, I believe, in 1975. So I pretty much grew up with it. I say it's a family business, but by the time I sold it, there really wasn't any other family in the business besides my wife. So I was able to have three operations managers and an office manager, and I could walk away from the business for two weeks and everything would be just fine. Mm -hmm. That really helps from a non-financial standpoint of making a company sellable, that the owner isn't intricately involved in with the company. When you got involved back with the company, more of a, an adult capacity, where was it at in sales? And we know where it ended up being up over 40 million, but where was yeah. it? So the first year I came back, it was just my mom and dad and myself. So it was the three of us. And I say we had two trucks and it was a good day if they both started. So I think the first year back, our sales were about $750,000. Wow. 
How did you grow it? My starting salary was zero. So the company was in rough shape and we had the opportunity to buy another company. And I knew if we bought that company, it would put it back into black. So I was working in St. Louis at the time for a bank in credit card finance, wearing a suit every day. And that didn't really fit my fancy. So I came back to help mom and dad out. And in April of 1992, we purchased a first oil. I did purchase my first oil company and recreated my dad's company was Highland Pure and Oil Company. And I created Tri-County Petroleum and we eventually merged my dad's company into mine and we took off with Tri-County. And that was for a banking reason that we did that. So the growth in the sales was primarily through strategic acquisitions? Absolutely. It really was. That is a great way to scale a company. And with the 11 acquisitions that you did, were all of them projected to pay all of your money back within three to five years? I would say all but one, and it probably still did. So the acquisitions that we did were strategic in nature. A lot of the times we were expanding geographically as much as anything, but I did have a situation with one company that was in the later years, we had grown quite large and I had two offices 30 miles apart and there was another oil company in right smack dab in the middle that wanted to sell. And it was a small operation, but he had a bulk plant. And a bulk plant is a storage facility for gasoline and diesel fuel. And if I bought the company, I was going to tear down that bulk plant. Nobody else would build a new one there. It just wasn't economically feasible. But what I was worried about is if a competitor bought that, now he could have a bulk plant right in the middle of an area where I had very high customer concentration. So in my opinion, the guy wanted about $100,000 too much for the company. But it was very strategic to me. So did I pay him for it? Heck yeah, I paid him for it because I didn't want anybody else to come into the area. Mm -hmm. You're playing defense by doing some offense. Correct. So what I would tell your listeners is think about that. Sometimes you have to look at a deal from a strategic standpoint, and it may not make the most sense, but that is where when you hear about some of these companies selling for ridiculously high numbers, it's because it was a very strategic operation for somebody. When I sold my company to Growmark, one of the reasons that they was very interested in buying it is one, I was their largest competitor in Southern Illinois, and two, which I didn't know about until after I sold the company, where I probably could have demanded a higher number, they had just bought a lubricants blending facility in Consul Bluffs, Iowa, and they wanted to get into the bulk oil business in Southern Illinois. Well, they could either start from scratch or if they purchased my company, we were selling about a half million gallons of lubricants and had a lubricants packaging facility. So by buying me, they was in the lubricants business and was able to add to what they had to offer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I find that stuff really interesting. And thanks for giving those details. Anything else that we haven't talked about that we should talk about as it relates to preparing our business for an eventual exit? Let me add one more thing to when you're buying a company, because I think this would apply to real estate also. Say somebody's going to buy out another management company or something like that. One of the things you need to think about when you're buying another company is all of the operating expenses that you're going to wipe out. So typically when I'm valuing a company, I'm valuing the cash flow that that company is generating. If you're looking at buying another company and you're in that same industry, really look hard at those bottom line operating systems because you've already met your liability limits for insurance. So that's a big one that I was always able to strike out. Obviously, you probably already have a computer system in place. So all their support 
expenses for their computer software system is probably going to go out the window. So you may be able to drop 30% or even 40% of the operating expenses of that company that you're looking to buy, which if you added that to cash flow would make the company worth a lot more money. And that's where you're really able to scale. So when it comes to selling the business, it's really about getting your ducks in a row. Financially, the company has to have the biggest driver of value is going to be the cash flow. But when people start looking at it and the financial statements are a mess, they're not being done timely. That's something that just kills me. People want to sell their business. It's October and they don't have tax returns done from the year before. Mm-hmm. You've got to get them done in a timely manner. You need to have your financial statements done in a timely manner. All those loose ends, who owns the property? You get into a larger company and all of a sudden there's several LLCs and it becomes fuzzy who owns what. It really is about getting your ducks in a row. How can the best seven listeners learn more about what you got going on? Read my book. The name of the book, like I said, you don't know what you don't know. Everything you need to know to buy or sell a business. It's on Amazon for the print version, or you can download it free on Kindle. The book basically walks you through the process. I start out talking about buying businesses, then a simple way to value a business, what we talked about with the discount cash flow, the process of buying a business, and then I talk about building your team. So there's chapters on bankers, attorneys, financial advisors, CPAs. I talk about bankability and what makes you bankable. There's really two sides of each loan in its simplest form, collateral and cash flow. Mm-hmm. Then we get into building value in the company, those non-financial things that I said really start to add value to the company. And then get into, what am I going to do with this thing? I've built it. Now what do I do in the exit process and the steps you need to take? Talk a lot about confidentiality. And then uh, the last chapter I called, don't be like the dog that caught the car. So basically have a plan <laughs> for your life after you sell your business. So throughout the book, I try and keep it humorous and tell stories about things that I did right and things that I should have done better. So it's a process and you need to build a team. Terry, thank you so much for being on the show talking about how to value businesses, the two approaches, the NACVA, the summary evaluation. Those are the deliverables, but the two types are financial and strategic. And all roads lead back to the true cash flow of the company. So if we are looking to sell a real estate company in future years, We've got to have the good financial statements. They got to be timely. We need to have systems in place so someone can take it over when we're not there. So thanks again for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Joe, and thanks to your listeners for listening. Have a great day. Stessa is the essential tool for tracking your rental properties, and it's going to save you a tremendous amount of time during tax season. Stessa organizes all of your rental property financials and automatically creates all the reports you need to file your tax return. And Stessa teamed up with the top real estate CPAs to offer you, best ever listeners, the ultimate rental property tax guide to help you maximize your deductions. Get that copy when you sign up for an account. The account's free. So get the copy by going to stessa.com forward slash best taxes. That's S-T-E-S-S-A dot com forward slash best taxes. Ever wonder how the top in real estate got there? The Invest This podcast hosted by real estate investor Scott Bauer interviews the top names in the industry, giving you the tips and tricks that help you catapult your real estate business to success. Find them at investthispodcast.com.